Hello, and welcome to Harry Potter and the Methods of Rationality, the podcast. Written by Eliezer Yudkowsky, read by Ineash Brodsky, based on the works of J.K. Rowling. Chapter 47, Personhood Theory. There comes a point in every plot where the victim starts to suspect, and looks back and sees a trail of events all pointing in a single direction. And when that point comes, Father had explained, the prospect of the loss may seem so unbearable, and admitting themselves tricked may seem so humiliating, that the victim will yet deny the plot, and the game may continue long after. Father had warned Draco not to do that again. First, though, he'd let Mr. Avery finish eating all of the cookies he'd swindled from Draco, while Draco watched and cried. The whole lovely jar of cookies that Father had given him just a few hours earlier, for Draco had lost all of them to Mr. Avery, down to the very last one. So it was a familiar feeling that Draco had felt in the pit of his stomach when Gregory told him about the kiss. Sometimes you looked back and saw things. In a lightless classroom, you couldn't quite call it unused anymore since it's seen weekly use over the last few months. A boy sat enshrouded in a hooded cowl with an unlighted crystal globe on the desk in front of him. Thinking in silence, thinking in darkness, waiting for an opening door to let in the light. Harry had shoved Granger away and said, I told you! No kissing! Harry would probably say something like, She just did it to annoy me last time, just like she made me go on that date. But the verified story was that Granger had been willing to face the Dementor again in order to help Harry. That she had kissed Harry, crying, when he was lost in the depths of dementation and that her kiss had brought him back. That didn't sound like rivalry, even friendly rivalry. That sounded like the kind of friendship you usually didn't see even in plays. Then why had Harry made his friend climb the icy walls of Hogwarts? Because that was the sort of thing Harry Potter did to his friends? Father had told Draco that to fathom a strange plot, one technique was to look at what ended up happening. Assume it was the intended result, and ask who benefited. What had ended up happening as the result of Draco and Granger fighting Harry Potter together was that Draco had started to feel a lot friendlier toward Granger. Who benefited from the scion of Malfoy becoming friends with a mudblood witch? Who benefited that was famous for exactly that sort of plot? Who benefited that could possibly be pulling Harry Potter's strings? Dumbledore. And if that was true, then Draco would have to go to Father and tell him everything, no matter what happened after that. Draco couldn't imagine what would happen after that. It was awful beyond imagining, which made him want to cling desperately to the last shred of hope that it wasn't all what it looked like. Draco remembered that, too, from Mr. Avery's lesson. Draco hadn't planned to confront Harry yet. He was still trying to think of an experimental test, something that Harry wouldn't just see through and fake. But then Vincent had come with the message that Harry wanted to meet early this week, on Friday instead of Saturday. And so here Draco was, in a dark classroom, an unlit crystal globe on his desk, waiting. Minutes passed. Footsteps approached. 
The door made a gentle creak as it swung open into the classroom, revealing Harry Potter dressed in his own hood and cowl. Harry stepped forward into the dark classroom, and the sturdy door closed behind him with a faint click. Draco tapped the crystal globe, and the classroom lit with bright green light. Green light projected shadows of the desks onto the floor and glared back at him from the curved chair backs, photons bouncing off the wood in such fashion that the angle of incidence equaled the angle of reflection. At least that much of what he learned wasn't likely to be a lie. Harry had flinched as the light went on, halting for a moment, then resumed his approach. Hello, Draco, Harry said quietly, drawing back his hood as he came to Draco's desk. Thank you for coming. I know it's not our usual time. You're welcome, Draco said flatly. Harry dragged one of the chairs to face Draco across his desk, the legs making a slight screeching sound on the floor. He spun the chair so that it was facing the wrong way and sat down straddling it, his arms folded across the back of the chair. The boy's face was pensive, frowning, serious, looking very adult even for Harry Potter. I have an important question to ask you, but there's something else I want us to do before that. Draco said nothing, feeling a certain weariness. Part of him just wanted it all to be over with already. Tell me, Draco, said Harry, why don't muggles ever leave ghosts behind when they die? Because muggles don't have souls, obviously. He didn't even realize until after he'd said it that it might contradict Harry's politics. But then, he didn't care. Besides, it was obvious. Harry's face showed no surprise. Before I ask my important question, I want to see if you can learn the Patronus charm. For a moment, the sheer non-sequitur stumped Draco. Good old, impossible to predict or understand, Harry Potter. There were times when Draco wondered whether Harry was deliberately this disorienting as a tactic. Then, Draco understood and shoved himself up and away from his desk in a single angry motion. That was it. It was over. Like Dumbledore's servants, he spat. Like Salazar Slytherin, Harry said steadily. Draco almost stumbled over his own feet in the middle of his first stride toward the door. Slowly, Draco turned back toward Harry. I don't know where you came up with that, but it's wrong. Everyone knows the Patronus charm is a Gryffindor spell. Salazar Slytherin could cast a corporeal Patronus charm, Harry said. Harry's hand darted into his robes, brought out a book whose title was written as white on green and so almost impossible to read in the green light, but it looked old. I discovered that when I was researching the Patronus charm before, and I found the original reference and checked the book out of the library just in case you didn't believe me. The author of this book doesn't think there's anything unusual about Salazar being able to cast a Patronus either. The belief that Slytherins can't do that must be recent. And as a further historical note, though I don't have the book with me, Godric Gryffindor never could. After the first six times Draco had tried calling Harry's bluff, on six successively more ridiculous occasions, he'd realized that Harry just didn't lie about what was written in books. Still, when Harry's hands opened the book and laid it out to the place of a bookmark, Draco leaned over and studied the place where Harry's fingers pointed. Then, the fires of Ravenclaw fell upon the darkness that had cloaked the left wing of Lord Fowl's army, breaking it. And it was revealed that the Lord Gryffindor had spoken true. The fear they all had felt was not natural in its source, but coming from thrice a dozen Dementors who had been promised the souls of the defeated. 
At once, the Lady Hufflepuff and Lord Slytherin brought forth their Patronuses, a vast angry badger and a bright silver serpent, and the defenders lifted their heads as the shadow passed from their hearts. And Lady Ravenclaw laughed, remarking that Lord Fowl was a great fool, for now his own army would be subject to the fear, but not the defenders of Hogwarts. Yet the Lord Slytherin said, No fool he, that much I know and the Lord Gryffindor beside him studied the battlefield with a frown upon his face. Draco looked back up. So? Harry closed the book and put it in his pouch. Chaos and Sunshine both have soldiers that can cast Corporeal Patronus charms. Corporeal Patronuses can be used to convey messages. If you can't learn the spell, Dragon Army will be at a severe military disadvantage. Draco didn't care about that right now and told Harry so. His voice was sharper than it probably should have been. Harry didn't blink. Then I'm calling in the favor you owe me from that time I stopped a ride from breaking out, on our first day of broomstick lessons. I'm going to try to teach you the Patronus charm, and for my favor, I want you to do your honest best to learn and cast it. I trust to the honor of House Malfoy that you will. Draco felt that certain weariness again. If Harry had asked at any other time, it would have been a fair return on a favor owed given that it wasn't actually a Gryffindor spell. But... Why? Draco said. To find out whether you can do this thing that Salazar Slytherin could do, Harry said evenly. This is an experimental test, and I will not tell you what it means until after you have done it. Will you? It probably was a good idea to discharge that favor on something innocuous, all the more so if it was time to break with Harry Potter. All right. Harry drew a wand from his robes and laid it against the globe. Not really the best color for learning the Patronus charm, Harry said. Green light to the exact shade of the killing curse, I mean. But silver is a Slytherin color too, isn't it? Dulac. The light went out and Harry whispered the first two phrases of the continual light enchantment, recasting that part of it, though neither of them could have cast the whole thing by themselves. Then Harry tapped the globe again and the room lit with a silver radiance brilliant, but still soft and gentle. Color returned to the desks and chairs, and to Harry's slightly sweaty face beneath the shock of black hair. It took that long for Draco to realize the implications. You saw a killing curse cast since the last time we met? When? How? Cast the Patronus charm, Harry said, looking more serious than ever. And I'll tell you, Draco pressed his hands to his eyes, shutting out the silver light. You know, I really should remember that you're too weird for any normal plots. Within his self-imposed darkness, he heard the sound of Harry snickering. Harry watched closely as Draco finished his latest run-through of the preliminary gestures, the part of the spell that was difficult to learn. The final brandish and the pronunciation didn't have to be precise. All three of the last runs had been perfect as far as Harry could tell. Harry had also felt an odd impulse to adjust things that Mr. Lupin hadn't said anything about, like the angle of Draco's elbow or the direction his foot was pointing. It could have been entirely his own imagination, and probably was, but Harry had decided to go with it just in case. All right, Harry said quietly. There was a tension in his chest that made it a little hard to speak. Now we don't have a Dementor here, but that's alright. We won't need one. 
Draco, when your father spoke to me at the train station, he said you were the one thing in the world that was most precious to him, and he threatened to throw away all his other plans to take vengeance on me if ever you came to harm. He... what? There was a catch in Draco's voice and a strange look on his face. Why are you telling me that? Why wouldn't I? Harry didn't let his expression change, though he could guess what Draco was thinking that Harry had been plotting to separate Draco from his father and shouldn't be saying anything that would bring them closer together. There's always been just one person who matters most to you, and I know exactly what warm and happy thought will let you cast the Patronus charm. You told it to me at the train station before the first day of school. Once, you fell off a broomstick and broke your ribs. It hurt more than anything you'd ever felt and you thought you were going to die. Pretend that fear is coming from a Dementor standing in front of you, wearing a tattered black cloak, looking like a dead thing left in water. And then cast the Patronus charm, and when you brandish the wand to drive the Dementor away, think of how your father held your hand so that you wouldn't be afraid, and then think of how much he loves you and how much you love him, and put it all into your voice when you say Expecto Patronum. For the honor of House Malfoy, and not just because you promised me a favor. Show me you didn't lie to me that day in the train station when you told me Lucius was a good father. Show me you can do what Salazar Slytherin could do. And Harry stepped backward, behind Draco, out of Draco's field of vision, so that Draco only faced the dusty old teacher's desk and blackboard at the front of the unused classroom. Draco cast one look behind him, that strange look still on his face and then turned away to face forward. Harry saw the exhalation, the inhalation. The wand twitched once, twice, thrice, and four times. Draco's finger slid along the wand exactly the right distances. Draco lowered his wand. This is too... I can't think this right while you're watching. Harry turned around and started walking toward the door. I'll come back in a minute, Harry said. Just hold to your happy thought, and the Patronus will stay. From behind Draco came the sound of the door opening again. Draco heard Harry's footsteps entering the classroom, but Draco didn't turn to look. Harry didn't say anything either. The silence stretched. Finally, What does this mean? Draco said. His voice wavered a bit. It means you love your father, Harry's voice said, which was just what Draco had been thinking and trying not to cry in front of Harry. It was too right, just too right. Before Draco, on the floor, was the shining form of a snake that Draco recognized, a blue crate, a snake first brought to their manor by Lord Abraxas Malfoy after a visit to some faraway land, and father had kept a blue crate in the Ophidarium ever since. The thing about the blue crate was that the bite wouldn't hurt much. Father had said that and told Draco that he was never allowed to pet the snake, no matter who was watching. The venom killed your nerves so fast that you didn't have time to feel pain as the poison spread. You could die of it even after using healing charms. It ate other snakes. It was as Slytherin as any creature could possibly be. That was why a blue crate head had been forged into the handle of Father's cane. The bright snake darted at its tongue, which was also silver, and seemed to smile somehow, in a warmer way than any reptile should. 
And then Draco realized. But, Draco said, still staring at the beautifully radiant snake, you can't cast the Patronus charm. Now that Draco had cast it himself, he understood why that was so important. You could be evil, like Dumbledore, and still cast the Patronus charm so long as you had something bright left inside you. But if Harry Potter didn't have a single thought inside him that shone like that... The Patronus charm is more complicated than you think, Draco, Harry said seriously. Not everyone who fails at casting it is a bad person, or even unhappy. But anyway, I can cast it. I did it on my second try, after I realized what I'd done wrong facing the Dementor my first time. But, well, my life gets a little peculiar sometimes, and my Patronus came out strange, and I'm keeping it a secret for now. Am I supposed to just believe that? You can ask Professor Quirrell if you don't believe me, said Harry. Ask him whether Harry Potter can cast a corporeal Patronus, and tell him that I told you to ask. He'd know the request was from me, no one else would know. Oh, and now Draco was to trust Professor Quirrell. Still, knowing Harry, it might be true, and Professor Quirrell wouldn't lie for trivial reasons. The glowing snake turned its head back and forth, as though seeking a prey that wasn't there, and then coiled itself into a circle as though to rest. I wonder, Harry said softly, when it was, which year, which generation, that Slytherin stopped trying to learn the Patronus charm. When was it that people started to think, that Slytherins themselves started to think, that being cunning and ambitious was the same as being cold and unhappy? And if Salazar knew that his students didn't even bother showing up to learn the Patronus charm anymore, I wonder, would he wish that he'd never been born? I wonder how it all went wrong when Slytherin's house went wrong. The shining creature winked out, the turmoil rising in Draco making it impossible to sustain the charm. What do you know about Slytherin House? Or Salazar Slytherin? You were never sorted into my house. What gives you the right to... And that was when Draco finally realized. You did get sorted into Slytherin, Draco said. You did, and afterwards you... you somehow... you snapped your fingers! Draco had once asked Father if it would be cleverer to get sorted into some other house so that everyone would trust him, and Father had smiled and said that he'd thought of that too at Draco's age, but there was no way to fool the sorting hat. Not until Harry Potter came along. How had he ever bought for one minute that Harry was a Ravenclaw? An interesting hypothesis. Do you know, you're the second person in Hogwarts to come up with a theory along those lines. At least, you're the second that's actually said so to my face. Snape, Draco said with certainty. His head of house was no fool. Professor Quirrell, of course, said Harry. Though come to think of it, Severus did ask me how I'd managed to stay out of his house, and whether I had something the Sorting Hat wanted. I suppose you could say you're number three. Oh, but Professor Quirrell's theory was a little different than yours, though. May I have your word not to repeat it? Draco nodded without even really thinking about it. What was he supposed to do, say no? Professor Quirrell thought that Dumbledore wasn't happy with the hat's choice for the boy who lived. And the instant Harry said it, Draco knew. He knew that it was true. It was just obvious. Who did Dumbledore even think he was fooling?
Well, besides every single other person in Hogwarts, except Snape and Quirrell. Harry might even believe it himself. Draco stumbled back over to his desk in something of a daze, and sat down hard enough to hurt slightly. This sort of thing happened around once a month with Harry, and it hadn't happened yet in January, so it was time. His fellow Slytherin, who might or might not think himself a Ravenclaw, sat back down in the chair he'd used earlier, now sitting on it crosswise and looking up intently at Draco. Draco didn't know what he should be doing now, whether he should be trying to persuade the lost Slytherin boy that no, he wasn't actually a Ravenclaw, or trying to figure out whether Harry was in league with Dumbledore, though that suddenly seemed less likely. But then why had Harry set up the whole thing with him and Granger? He really should have remembered that Harry was too weird for any normal plots. Harry, Draco said, did you deliberately antagonize me and General Sunshine just so we'd work together against you? Harry nodded without hesitation, as though it was the most normal thing in the world and nothing to be ashamed of. The whole thing with the gloves and making us climb up the walls of Hogwarts, the only point was to make me and Granger more friendly toward each other? And even before then, you've been plotting it for a really long time. Since the beginning. Again the nod. Why? Harry's eyebrows lifted for a moment, the only reaction he showed to Draco shrieking so loudly in the closed classroom that it hurt his own ears. Why, why, why did Harry Potter do this sort of thing? Then Harry said, So that Slytherins will be able to cast the Patronus charm again. That doesn't make sense! Draco was aware that he was losing control of his voice, but he didn't seem to be able to stop himself. What does that have to do with Granger? Patterns, Harry said. His voice was very serious now, and very grave. Like a quarter of children born to squib couples being wizards, a simple, unmistakable pattern that you would recognize instantly if you knew what you were looking at, even though, if you didn't know, you wouldn't even realize it was a clue. The poison in Slytherin House is something that's been seen before in the Muggle world. This is an advanced prediction, Draco. I could have written it down for you before our first day of school just from hearing you talk in King's Cross Station. Let me describe some really pathetic sorts of people that hang around at your father's political rallies. Pure-blood families that would never be invited to dinner at Malfoy Manor. Bearing in mind that I've never met them, I'm just predicting it from recognizing the pattern of what's happening to Slytherin House. And Harry proceeded to describe the Parkinsons and Montagues and Bowles with a calmly cutting accuracy that Draco wouldn't have dared think to himself in case there was a Legilimens around. It was beyond insult. They would kill Harry if they ever heard that. To sum up, Harry finished, they don't have any power themselves. They don't have any wealth themselves. If they didn't have Muggleborns to hate, if all the Muggleborns vanished the way they say they want, they'd wake up one morning and find they had nothing. But so long as they can say purebloods are superior, they can feel superior themselves. They can feel like part of the master class. Even though your father would never dream of inviting them to dinner, even though there's not one galleon in their vaults, even if they did worse on their owls than the worst muggle-born in Hogwarts, even if they can't cast the Patronus charm anymore, 
Everything is the Muggleborn's fault to them. They have someone besides themselves to blame for their own failures, and that makes them even weaker. That's what Slytherin House is becoming. Pathetic. And the root of the problem is hating Muggleborns. Salazar Slytherin himself said that mudbloods needed to be cast out. That they were weakening our blood. Salazar was wrong as a question of simple fact! You know that, Draco! And that hatred is poisoning your whole house! You couldn't cast the Patronus charm using a thought like that! Then why could Salazar Slytherin cast the Patronus charm? Harry was wiping sweat from his forehead. Because things have changed between then and now. Listen, Draco, 300 years ago you could find great scientists, as great as Salazar in their own way, who would have told you that some other muggles were inferior because of their skin color. Skin color? said Draco. I know, skin color instead of anything important like blood purity. Isn't it ridiculous? But then something in the world changed. And now, you can't find any great scientist who still thinks skin color should matter. Only loser people like the ones I described to you. Salazar Slytherin made the mistake when everyone else was making it. Because he grew up believing it. Not because he was desperate for someone to hate. There were a few people who did better than everyone else around them. And they were exceptionally good. But the ones who just accepted what everyone else thought weren't exceptionally evil. The sad fact is that most people just don't notice a moral issue at all unless someone is pointing it out to them. And once they're as old as Salazar was when he met Godric, they've lost the ability to change their minds. Only then Hogwarts was built, and Hogwarts started sending acceptance letters to Muggleborns like Godric insisted, and more and more people began to notice that Muggleborns weren't any different. Now it's a big political issue instead of something that everyone just believes without thinking about it. And the correct answer is that Muggleborns aren't any weaker than purebloods. So now, the people who end up siding with what Salazar once believed are either people who grew up in very closed pureblood environments like you, or people who are so pathetic themselves that they're desperate for someone to feel superior to. People who love to hate. That doesn't... that doesn't sound right, Draco's voice said. His ears listened and wondered that he couldn't come up with anything better to say. It doesn't. Draco, you know now there's nothing wrong with Hermione Granger. You had trouble dropping her off a roof, I hear. Even though you knew she'd taken a feather-falling potion. Even though you knew she was safe. What sort of person do you think wants to kill her? Not for any wrong she did to them. Just because she's a muggle-born. Even though she's... she's just a young girl who would help them with their homework in a second if they ever asked her. Harry's voice broke. What sort of person wants her to die? Draco felt split in two. He seemed to be having a problem with dual vision. Granger is a mudblood. She should die. And a girl hanging from his hand on the rooftop. Like seeing double, seeing double. And anyone who doesn't want Hermione Granger to die won't want to hang around with the sort of people who do. That's all people think Slytherin is now. Not clever planning, not trying to achieve greatness, just hating Muggleborns. 
I paid Morag a sickle to ask Padma why she hadn't gone to Slytherin. We both know she got the option. And Morag told me that Padma just gave her a look and said that she wasn't Pansy Parkinson. You see? The best students with the virtues of more than one house, the students with choices, they go under the hat thinking, anywhere but Slytherin. And someone like Padma ends up in Ravenclaw. And I think the Sorting Hat tries to maintain a balance in the Sorting, so it fills out the ranks of Slytherin with anyone who isn't repelled by all the hatred. So instead of Padma Patil, Slytherin gets Pansy Parkinson. She's not very cunning, and she's not very ambitious. But she's the sort of person who doesn't mind what Slytherin is turning into. And the more Padmas go to Ravenclaw, and the more Pansies go to Slytherin, the more the process accelerates. It's destroying Slytherin House, Draco! It had a ring of awful truth. Padma had belonged in Slytherin, and instead, Slytherin got Pansy. Father rallied lesser families like the Parkinsons because they were convenient sources of support, but Father hadn't realized the consequences of associating Slytherin's name with them. I can't, Draco said, but he wasn't even sure what he couldn't do. What do you want from me? I'm not sure how to heal Slytherin House, Harry said slowly, but I know it's something you and I will end up having to do. It took centuries for science to dawn over the Muggle world. It only happened slowly, but the stronger science got, the further that sort of hatred retreated. Harry's voice was quiet now. I don't know exactly why it worked that way, but that's how it happened historically. As though there's something in science like the shine of the Patronus charm, driving back all sorts of darkness and madness. Not right away, but it seems to follow wherever science goes. The Enlightenment. That's what it was called in the Muggle world. It has something to do with seeking the truth, I think. With being able to change your mind from what you grew up believing. With thinking logically, realizing that there's no reason to hate someone because their skin is a different color. Just like there's no reason to hate Hermione Granger. Or maybe there's something to it that even I don't understand. But the Enlightenment is something that you and I belong to now. Both of us. Fixing Slytherin House is just one of the things we have to do. Let me think, Draco said, his voice coming out in something of a croak. Please. And he rested his head on his hands and thought. Draco thought for a while, with his palms over his eyes to shut out the world. No sound but his and Harry's breathing. All the persuasive reasonableness of what Harry said, the evident grains of truth that it contained, and against that, the obvious, the perfectly and entirely obvious hypothesis about what was really going on. After a time, Draco finally raised his head. It sounds right, Draco said quietly. A huge smile broke out on Harry's face. So, Draco continued, is this where you bring me to Dumbledore to make it official? He kept his voice very casual as he said it. Oh, yeah, Harry said. That was the thing I was going to ask you about, actually. Draco's blood froze in his veins, froze solid and shattered. Professor Quirrell said something to me that got me thinking. And, well, no matter how you answer this question, I'm already stupid for not having asked you a lot earlier. 
Everyone in Gryffindor thinks Dumbledore is a saint. The Hufflepuffs think he's crazy. The Ravenclaws are all proud of themselves for having worked out that he's only pretending to be crazy. But I never asked anyone in Slytherin. I'm supposed to know better than to make that sort of mistake. But if even you think Dumbledore's okay to conspire with on fixing Slytherin House, I guess I didn't miss anything important. You know, Draco said, his voice remarkably calm, all things considered. Every time I wonder if you do things like this just to annoy me, I tell myself that it has to be accidental. No one could possibly do this sort of thing on purpose, even if they tried until blood trickled out of their ears. That's the only reason I'm not going to strangle you now. Huh? And then strangle himself. Because Harry had grown up with muggles, and then Dumbledore had smoothly diverted him from Slytherin to Ravenclaw. So it was perfectly plausible that Harry might not know anything, and Draco had never thought to tell him. Or else Harry had guessed that Draco wouldn't join up with Dumbledore so readily, and this itself was just the next step of Dumbledore's plan. But if Harry really didn't know about Dumbledore, then warning him had to take precedence over everything. All right, Draco said after he'd had a chance to organize his thoughts. I don't know where to start, so I'll just start somewhere. Draco took a deep breath. This was going to take a while. Dumbledore murdered his little sister and got away with it because his brother wouldn't testify against him. Let me think. End first half of chapter 47. The original text for this chapter can be found at hpmor.com. A link is included in this file's description. Recordings, questions, and comments can be sent to hpmorpodcast at gmail.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, please help spread the word at your social forum of choice. If you're interested in learning more about the art of rationality, please visit lesswrong.com, an online community of aspiring rationalists founded by Eliezer Yudkowsky. Some sound effects used are courtesy of the Free Sound Project. Attribution links can be found in this file's description. The music used is Catch That Goblin by Skaven. Thank you for listening, and come back next week for the second half of Chapter 47, Personhood Theory.